This is a continuation of Compulsory Electric Service, Part 3. This episode is part of the series, Living Off the Grid in the City podcast, by Hector Vladimir. As if turning my back to the coming celebration of the 12th of October, 1992, I and my siblings flew to the U.S. in early May of that year. Although it was much talked about in my birth nation, it quickly faded away from my attention as I now focused on my new life. My life changed dramatically when I moved to South Florida in the U.S. in 1992. One thing I noticed much was the constant available electrical power, the constant hum of the cool air conditioning, and the always available TV and lighting in my apartment. It was different and odd to me. Then my parents sacrificed countless family hours, their youth, and their energy to keep us under a roof, fed, and with the lights on. The change was tough on me and on my siblings too. Our anxieties were abound. Even in the land of seemingly endless power, the power did fail, and it did so spectacularly. In the summer of 1992, Hurricane Andrew directly hit the South Florida area. I recall the dark gray skies brewing in the evening prior to the hurricane. As me and my father looked for some last-minute food around our town's stores, he was toting his old bicycle, so I walked beside him. The storm went on for most of the night, and some time during my sleep, we lost power. That next morning, we woke up to what would last for many weeks. No electric power, and much destruction to trees and buildings outside, and a changed environment. Most businesses were damaged and closed. There was no work or school, so after about four weeks of enduring the inconvenience of having no electric power, it was finally restored in our area. A few days to weeks later, I recall my parents complaining about the high electricity bill. It was as if we were charged for electric power all those weeks and then got charged extra. I could not understand, but later I learned that the power company was allowed to recover much of the cost of repairs by passing it down to its customers, enabled by the state government. So seemingly the charges for the electric service by the local company Florida Power and Light FPL, never included a percentage to go to disaster repairs. Bullshit. FPL was only allowed by the state and local governments to pass down their losses after surely collecting millions in private insurance and public emergency relief funds. And it was not the last time FPL did that. Many more Florida storms damages to the electric grid would be paid in major part by its customers. Throughout the 1990s, our biggest cost complaints as a family in a household were the rent, the electrical service, and the phone service. By 1995, with four members of the family now contributing income to different degrees, electricity and phone were still painful bills to pay. In 1998, we had moved to an individual home in a nearby town, and we were doing much better financially. But the power bill was our biggest expense as a family outside of housing and food. I became an independent working adult in 2001 and began my first experiences living in an apartment I rented in Northwest Florida. There, I began my truly sour experiences with the electric company. I was almost immediately after moving charged a ridiculously high amount on my first power bill. 
It felt as if they charged me for all the power used in the apartment as it sat unoccupied for weeks to months with the lights on and the refrigerator on. In fact, to this day I suspect that is what occurred. I was so outraged by that high bill that I immediately called the electric company with some anger. And I was given what I later learned was the routine treatment. Blame me for using too much power and the electric company to wash their hands of any wrongdoing. I was in such a precarious financial situation that I told the power company to just disconnect my power and something like I will not be paying such an outrageous bill. So they disconnected me almost immediately and did not care that I was a just moved in service member likely going through some financial distress. That electric company, like most others, was ruthless and would not even attempt to try to help me. If you are in financial need, the same may occur. Their first response was to cut my power, then sit and wait for me to come back begging for reconnection. Then they happily charged me higher rates, high fees, insurance fees, a hefty reconnection fee, and imposed inconvenient limitations on me. You are usually immediately put in a high-risk category of customers that pay more, not less. So the electric companies are more than ready and willing to punish the needy, not aid them. And the electric company's employees seem to use people's needs and precarious predicaments to further abuse you and satisfy a sort of sadistic need to have you suffer. I often register this behavior in the tone and actions of the electric company's representatives. I remained without electricity for a few days in that occasion and was immediately warned by the apartment building manager of the consequences. Later, because of other mounting pressures, I capitulated and reconnected my electric power. After this sour experience, I was determined not to use the central AC for several weeks to try to save energy, but to no avail. My electric bill was still high the next month, and when I called to complain about my fruitless energy saving efforts, I was given the same spiel. I was to blame. In 2005, I was living in a South Florida apartment. I recall my highest payments apart from the rent were for electric power and water. I recall having to work ridiculously long hours just to keep up with the high cost of living of the area. I recall wanting to closely watch my power usage because I was sure I was being overcharged. But I was denied access to my electric meter by the apartment building staff simply because it was kept in a locked area. Yeah, that was their actual excuse. That hurricane season of 2005 was very active. Then Hurricane Katrina traversed between Broward and Miami-Dade counties in Florida and caused much damage in the area. To our misfortune, the electric power was out for two to three excruciating weeks in our area. And I recall clearly that our electric bill was higher for that month and the following months. I had the same question as many did at the time. Does the power company recover hurricane repair costs with increased customer bills, even though it already charges customers for such events? Because of my then daily grind, having to work most days and some nights, I did not research this question. But later I found the answers to my questions and they were resounding yes and yes. The abuse was obvious, but most people just paid their high bills because they were desperate to maintain a normal lifestyle now with a fresh memory of how brutal it can be to be without electricity. Later, I purchased a house and moved out of South Florida. 
to what I thought was a more organized and more customer-oriented area in East Central Florida. But I was disappointed to encounter the same cutthroat and ruthless attitude from the local power company. Like many, I was struggling financially and barely able to afford the very high housing costs of mid-2006 Florida. And I had other anxieties because of my long commutes to my place of work and my looming plans of a dramatic change in my work and family life. So although I lived near a nuclear plant, presumably a source of relatively cheap energy, I immediately began to receive high power bills again. And this was while I lived in a very small house of less than 900 square feet with small window-mounted air conditioners. I was so outraged at my power bills that I called the electric company in hopes of demonstrating the obvious discrepancy. I was caught being naive yet again, as the electric company was not interested in helping me, even though I explained we were a young family with kids and with little money. They still refused to look at the discrepancy point to help or work out any discount, although eight programs existed. After detecting the obvious and cold indifference of the young lady on the phone, in despair I requested to be disconnected. She agreed I would be disconnected almost immediately and hung up, but I guess something about my plea softened that person's heart and I got a call back from her. She said something like, my power bill should be lower from now on. Then the conversation ended shortly after. I was surprised and pleased at this rare adjustment and indeed my electric bill was lower for the remainder of my time in that location. That proved to me that the power company was and planned to continue to ripping me off. And I am certain that if it wasn't for my pleas about young children and the threat to disconnect and possibly make my family suffer, they would have not stopped robbing me. Perhaps she did not want to lose another paying customer and rather keep him paying even if it is at a reduced, more fair rate. This and other situations made me feel that the electric company treat customers like preschool playground children where it takes some to cry out loud before they get a fair treatment. In 2008, at the start of the recession, I once again became economically and consciously aware of how much we spent on energy as a family. I lived in a rented old four-bedroom house that was quite inefficient and expensive to run on electricity. By 2009, I began to think out of the box and made efficiency changes to see what results I got. I installed battery lights on most every room. I installed a kerosene convection heater and tried to stop using the electric furnace air heater. I installed a tankless water heater and began to experiment with solar water heaters. Again, I noticed that regardless of my electric energy saving efforts, my bill was about the same or even more each month. I was disappointed but undeterred and by 2010 I was experimented with a battery bank, a wind turbine and a solar panel. I was spending hundreds on what I was sure were technologies that were going to make a difference if not immediately then soon enough I thought. I wanted to learn by doing and directly diving into these exciting and newly available technologies. Solar and wind energy were on the evening news as possible answers to the economic and looming climate crises and if the nation wants to financially recover by looking to be energy independent, 
then why not try to apply this concept to individual households, I thought. It was beginning to make sense. Energy dependency can hurt you financially, and in other ways, I felt the utilities were hurting me much more than they were helping me. At the time, I was also reading books about financial education and was enraged to find out how we've been purposely and harmfully indebted by the banks for many years. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please look for the next episode soon and please ensure to share this with your friends and family. And please like this content and subscribe as a sign of support and for me to continue to provide this type of content to more people like you. Lastly, if you wish to support this content further, please visit the links provided in this publication. Thank you.